Solomon's Temple and its Teachings. Part 3, Types of the Temple, Thomas Newbery, the Silver Lampstands, and for the Candlesticks, Lampstands, of Silver by Weight, 1 Chronicles chapter 28 verse 15. The silver lampstands were probably for the use of the priests in the side chambers of the sanctuary, and express spiritual truth held in the communion of saints, by the teaching of the Spirit of God. The golden and silver vessels. Also pure gold for the flesh hooks, and the bowls, and the cups, and for the golden basins he gave gold by weight for every basin, and likewise silver by weight for every basin of silver, 1 Chronicles chapter 28 verse 17. 1 Kings chapter 7 verses 48, 50, 2 Chronicles chapter 4 verses 8, 11, 19. In the flesh hooks, bowls, and covered bowls, some precious thoughts are suggested by the roots of the Hebrew words. These vessels of gold and silver were probably among the treasures of the house of God, laid up in the lower side chambers of the temple. Even so, God's holy priesthood are stewards of sacred mysteries, the antitypes of these, to be the themes of adoring wonder and grateful praise to countless myriads throughout all eternity above. What more precious to the saints on earth or to the redeemed in glory than thoughts of the sufferings of Christ, his precious blood, his complete atonement? These are some of the things set forth by these instruments and vessels. The root of the Hebrew word for flesh hook is to draw out, suggestive of the thought of the blood shedding of Emmanuel. The very spear that pierced his side drew forth the blood to save. The root of the word for bowl is to sprinkle. These bowls or basins were probably employed in carrying the blood into the holiest when the blood of atonement was sprinkled there. It is the blood of Jesus which gives boldness of access within the veil. That rich atoning blood, which, sprinkled round, we see, provides for all who come to God. An all-prevailing plea, the root of the word cup, or, more properly, cover, is to be hard, and, when repeated, is employed to express the scales of a fish and scale armor, giving the thought of security and defense. What a shelter for the soul is the precious blood of Jesus. Over the blood-sprinkled habitations in Egypt the destroying angel passed. What an impenetrable scale armor it affords, combining freedom of action with perfect security. The word rendered basins here properly signifies covered bowls. The root of the word is to cover, to expiate, to make atonement. This suggests atonement fully made. What treasures for the treasuries of God. What memorials for eternity. What things for angels to look into. To be explained and unfolded by those who have been the subjects of redeeming grace in the ages of eternity to come. The two pillars, Jachin and Boaz. The pillars of brass which stood by the porch of the temple, one on either side, are mentioned in seven places in the scriptures, 1 Kings chapter 7 verses 13 to 22, 41 to 46, 2 Kings chapter 25 verses 16 to 17, 2 Chronicles chapter 3 verse and 2 Chronicles chapter 4 verses 12 to 13, Jeremiah chapter 52 verses 20 to 23, Ezekiel chapter 40 verse 49. On the surface these accounts appear to vary, it requires prayerful waiting upon God, and pondering his holy word, to harmonize the whole. It has been found with this as with other apparent discrepancies of scripture, that they are, in fact, divine perfections, and the seeming diversities tend to the elucidation of the truth. Blind unbelief is sure to err, and scan his work in vain, God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. The height. In two or three places the height is given as 18 cubits apiece, the chapter on the top of each pillar was 5 cubits, making the entire height 23 cubits. In 2 Chronicles chapter 3 verse 15, we read, he made before the house two pillars of 30 and 5 cubits high. In the margin you will find the Hebrew word rendered, high, should be, long. The Hebrew word used for pillar, signifies, round pillar, the length of the round shaft was 17 and a half cubits each pillar, the two together making 35 cubits long. If we add half a cubit for the pedestal we have 18 as the height of each. 
with regard to the position of the pillars, the word which in 1 Kings is rendered, in, signifies, by, he set up the pillars by the porch of the temple, and this corresponds with 2 Chronicles 3.17. He reared up the pillars before the temple. They were cast, in the clay ground between Succoth and Zarthan, 1 Kings chapter 7 verse 46, they were hollow, and the thickness of the brass was four fingers, Jeremiah chapter 52 verse 21. Brass is the emblem of strength, hollow expresses emptiness. Those skilled in these questions say that the proportions of thickness and size here given are those whereby the greatest amount of strength is secured with the smallest quantity of metal. That is just like God in his perfect wisdom. The chapters, or crowns. In 1 Kings chapter 7 verse 16, the chapters, or crowns, as the Hebrew word kophereth signifies, are said to be five cubits high, in verse 19 the lily work is said to be four cubits, and in 2 Kings chapter 25 verse 17. The height of the chapter was three cubits. The truth is, I apprehend, that each of these chapters consisted of four parts, one, a square ledge on the top, half a cubit thick, on which were the pomegranates. Two, a similar ledge at the bottom, three, a bowl or pommel of one cubit deep, 1 Kings chapter 7 verse 41, and, four, a belly of protuberance of three cubits, 1 Kings chapter 7 verse 20, the two last together, covered with lily work, would make the four cubits, and two ledges would complete the height of five cubits. The chapters also were covered with a network or checker work, expressive of temperance and self-control. 1 Kings chapter 7 verses 17 to 18. The pomegranates. The number is variously given. The pomegranates were in two rows, 12 in a row, 24 on the upper ledge of each pillar, and 24 on the lower ledge, fronting the four winds. Jeremiah chapter 52 verse 23, that is. Fronting the east, west, north, and south, 48 on each pillar, 96 together, one pomegranate at each corner of the ledges, making 100 round about on each ledge, 200 on each pillar. The number on the two pillars was 400. The pomegranates and lily work speak of the fruits and graces of the spirit. The chains the seven chains of W-R-E-A-T-H-E-N work on each pillar tell of entire subjection, and that which it results in, fullness of honor. In the English translation there is a constant confusion between the network or checker work and the chain work or wreaths, seven chains suspended on each pillar. The confusion is not in the Hebrew scriptures, which are perfectly clear and distinct, but in the translation. It is only from the Hebrew originals it is possible to harmonize these various discrepancies. Position and names. Solomon reared up the pillars before the temple, one on the right hand, and the other on the left, and called the name of that on the right hand Jachin, he will establish. And the name of that on the left Boaz, in him is strength, 2 Chronicles chapter 3 verse 17. They are silent but eloquent testimony bearers of the great truths of establishment by God and strength in Christ. The truths thus declared are expressed by the Holy Ghost in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 21, Now he which establishes us with you in Christ, and has anointed us, is God, who has also sealed us. And given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. We learn from the sacred scriptures that God foresaw that the creature could not stand in its own strength, could not sustain itself by its own strength. And for this he made provision from all eternity. As he foresaw, so it came to pass. Angels, and one evidently of the mightiest order, fell and kept not their first estate. Man, placed at the head of the lower creation, made in the image of God, tempted by Satan, likewise fell. Thus corruption and defilement entered the creation of God, threw angels into its height, and threw man into its depth. It is in this sense that, as we read in Job chapter 15 verse 15, the heavens are not clean in his sight. The same infinite wisdom which foresaw all this provided a remedy in the Son of God. Incarnation, redemption, resurrection, the gift of the Holy Spirit received by Christ in ascension, and bestowed on men, are God's means. This is a chain linking time with eternity and God with man.
the first wondrous link we find in the incarnation, God manifest in flesh. On that emptied and dependent one the Holy Ghost rested, the Spirit of Jehovah was poured without measure. In heaven there is a throne set, and one sits on the throne. Man lost paradise by having a will of his own. In Gethsemane we see the surrender of the will of the perfect man, who said, Not my will, but thine be done, Matthew chapter 26 verses 36 to 44. So, as sin entered by man having a will of his own, God counteracted it by a perfect and surrendered will. It pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and, having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, through him, I say. Whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, Colossians chapter 1 verses 19 to 20. Thus a link has been formed, by the atoning work of Christ, between the reconciled creature and the Creator. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, wherefore God also has highly exalted him, and given him a name above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 to 11. Henceforth every ascription of honor and glory and power must be given to the Father through the Son, in Greek, his name must every knee bow. Since Jesus Christ has been constituted the head of the creation of God, and is the firstborn from among the dead, the security of the universe is headed up in Christ, the second man. The Lord from heaven, see Ephesians chapter 1 verses 9 to 10. Here is at once the foundation cornerstone and the headstone of universal security. It is laid deep, low in Bethlehem's manger, deeper still at Calvary's cross and Joseph's new tomb. In the finished work of Christ is laid the deep foundation of the security of the creation of God, and in a risen and glorified Christ is seen the keystone of the arch. God the Father establishing in Christ the Son, and crowning the whole with the graces, gifts, and perfections of the divine eternal spirit. The brazen sea. The brazen sea in the court of the temple took the place of the lava of the tabernacle. All these vessels are the embodiment of divine thought connected with the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. As in the altar we see Christ as our redemption, so in the lava we have Christ as our sanctification. One beautiful title by which God is made known in the Old Testament is Jehovah Mekadashim, which means, I am Jehovah that doth sanctify you. How does Jehovah sanctify? In Christ Jesus through the truth, John chapter 17 verse 17. The word of God is the means, and the word is effectually applied by the Spirit. This is the truth set forth in the tabernacle lava. The larger reservoir, the brazen sea, suggests the idea of a greater fullness and more abundant supply. It was 30 cubits in circumference, 10 in diameter, 5 in height, a handbreadth in thickness. It was constructed to hold 3,000 baths, about 100,000 liters. It generally contained 2,000. 1 Kings chapter 7 verses 23 to 26, 2 Chronicles chapter 4 verses 2 to 5, 10, 15. Each bath being calculated to be equal to 7 gallons and 4 pints of our measure. It stood upon twelve oxen, three looking toward the north, three toward the west, three toward the south, three toward the east, their hinder parts inward. The brazen sea made by Hiram for Solomon, standing by the temple of God, reminds us of the words of the psalmist, with thee is the fountain of life. It is said concerning the lava. Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat, Exodus chapter 30 verse 19. The Hebrew expression is therefrom, teaching that the water was drawn from it, the water in the lava remained uncontaminated. The same explanation will apply to the brazen sea, it was for the use of the priests, they could not reach up to dip their hands into it. In some old drawings water is represented as flowing from the mouths of the oxen, the oxen were probably hollow. The brim was wrought like the brim of a cup, with flowers of lilies, and knots or gourds in two rows, ten knots to a cubit. 
This brazen sea, with its vast collection of water, presents to us the idea of unlimited supply, it is emblematic of Jesus in resurrection and in ascended glory, in whom dwells all fullness of spiritual life, power, and blessing. The water is typical of the spirit as given from the risen and glorified Christ. In John chapter 7 verses 37 to 38, we read, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Then follows the interpretation. But this spake he of the Spirit which they that believe in him should receive, when he was glorified. God the Father, the source of all, is the fountain head. But, it pleased the Father that in him, the Son, should all fullness dwell. He is the vast reservoir, the Father the source. In Christ all fullness dwells, and the fullness of the Father which is in the Son is communicated to us by the Holy Spirit sent from a glorified Christ. The water in the brazen sea, as interpreted by the Lord Jesus, signifies the Holy Spirit descending from a glorified Christ, as at Pentecost, remaining in the church until the church, as the body and bride of Christ, is made meet for him to come and receive her to himself. The twelve oxen. We have a beautiful embodiment of divine thought connected with ministry, of which the ox in scripture is the emblem of patient, laborious service. This figure is applied by the Apostle Paul to those who minister the word. Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treads out the corn. The ox treading out the corn for the household represents that servant whom his Lord has set over his household. To give them their portion of meat in due season, and who, by going over the sacred page with unmuzzled mouth, feeds as he treads it out for others. The oxen through which the water flowed may be typical of those who, abiding in Christ, and drawing out of his fullness, minister the Spirit to others, according to that word, he that ministers to you the Spirit, Galatians chapter 3 verse 5. This is true ministry, drinking into the Spirit of Christ, receiving out of his fullness, speaking out of the abundance of the heart, ministering the Spirit, so ministering grace unto the hearers. Living waters. In the temple of Ezekiel neither lava nor brazen sea are mentioned, the waters that issue from under the threshold take their place. They flow down eastward, at the south side of the altar, Ezekiel chapter 47. These waters are emblematic of life in the spirit, small in its commencement in the new birth, it goes on deepening and widening as it flows, leading to purity of walk. As symbolized in the water reaching to the ankles. A patient continuance in holy walking leads to a spirit of worship, this is indicated by the waters reaching to the knees. The prophet was conducted from the south side. The side of loving kindness and grace, back to the north, the side of righteousness and judgment, a further progress, that of worshipping God in the spirit, realizing the holiness of him whom we worship. Our Father which art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. The waters now reach unto the loins, for worship leads to service, the bent knee to the girded loins. Occupied with the service of the Master in the hope of his return. Waters to swim in. Patient continuance in well-doing leads the soul into a richer and fuller acquaintance with God, the enjoyment of his manifested presence, and the communion of the Holy Ghost. Strengthened with might by God's Spirit in the inner man, Christ dwelling in the heart by faith, rooted and grounded in love, the believer is led to comprehend, with all saints, what is the length and breadth and depth and height of love divine, and, knowing the love of Christ which passes knowledge, the soul is filled into all the fullness of God, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 19, an ocean of boundless blessedness. Without a bottom and, without a shore. God is love, and he that dwells in love dwells in God, and God in him, like a fish in ocean depths, drinking in from the boundless fullness which surrounds it, and enjoying unlimited freedom in the activity of its happy existence, a river that could not be passed over the river from the throne of God and of the Lamb. The river in Revelation chapter 22 is traced up to its source in God, the fountain of living waters, and reveals the sovereignty of his grace, founded on the atoning work of his beloved Son. 
Ezekiel chapter 47 gives the literal and earthly view, Revelation chapter 22 the spiritual and heavenly, while both are millennial. The bases and lavas there were ten bases and lavas of brass, 1 Kings chapter 7 verses 27, 38, five placed on the south or right side or shoulder of the temple, and five on the north or left side, 1 Kings chapter 7 verse 39. The bases were square, four cubits wide, three cubits high, with ledges, borders, or sides, and certain additions, and undersetters or supports for the lava. They stood on wheels, one and a half cubits high, and had gravings of lions, oxen, and cherubim. There are two Hebrew words both rendered base, in 1 Kings chapter 7. A base under the lava, keen, the word rendered, foot, in connection with the lava in the tabernacle, and the larger base, makona, of four cubits by three. The lavas were circular, four cubits in diameter, each one contained 40 baths, approximately, 1,360 liters, 1 Kings chapter 7 verse 38. Altogether they appear to have stood about 8 cubits in height. Such things as they offered for the burnt, ascending, offering they washed in them, 2 Chronicles chapter 4 verse 6. The inwards and legs of the burnt offerings were washed, thus they became typical of him whose inward thoughts, feelings, purposes, and desires were ever pure and holy, whose walk and ways were blameless and undefiled and who offered himself without spot to God. The pots, and the shovels, and the basins, and all these vessels, which Hiram made to King Solomon for the house of the Lord, were of bright brass, 1 Kings chapter 7 verse 45. The brazen altar. It was 20 cubits square, 10 cubits in height, 2 Chronicles chapter 4, commensurate in length and breadth with the holiest of all, the atonement is co-extensive with the holiness of God, equal in height to the cherubim, which stood 10 cubits high, whose wings met over the propitiatory. The fire was to be ever burning, Leviticus chapter 1 verses 7 to 13, 6 12 minus 13. Upon this the daily lamb was to be laid in order, Exodus 29 to 39. The other sacrifices were laid upon the burnt offering, Numbers 28. The immense size of Solomon's altar, the orderly disposition of the wood and sacrifices would render it necessary that the approach should be on the four sides. In connection with the altar of Ezekiel, steps or stairs are mentioned, Ezekiel 43 to 17. The prohibition of steps in Exodus chapter 20 verse 26, refers to the primitive altar of earth or of unhewn stone, concerning which it was also said that the lifting up of a tool upon it would pollute it. The priestly garments afterwards provided obviated the need of the prohibition, Exodus chapter 28 verse 42. The vast number of sacrifices at the dedication of the altar of Solomon was an ineffectual attempt to give expression to faith's apprehension of the infinite value of the one atoning sacrifice of Emmanuel. The various offerings, see note, were a foreshadowing of those realities of which Christ himself is the substance. Note, a full exposition of these will be found in Types of the Levitical Offerings, by the same author. End of note, the altar of Ezekiel. It is intermediate in size between that of the tabernacle and that of the temple of Solomon, Ezekiel chapter 43. The bottom, bosom, or ashpit, on the ground, is a square of 16 cubits, and one cubit high. The lesser settle or ledge is 14 cubits square, and 2 cubits in height, the altar itself 12 cubits square, 4 cubits high. The sacrifices offered previous to Christ's offering of himself were foreshadowings of the work accomplished on the cross, the only thing which in the Christian church takes the place is the Lord's Supper. Commemorative of his broken body and shed blood. Sacrifices will come again into observance during the last week of Daniel's 70 weeks, and in the millennium, Ezekiel chapter 43 verse 18, with significant alterations. In the millennial period there is no mention of the evening lamb, only of the morning, Ezekiel chapter 46 verse 13. The evening sacrifice has received its accomplishment in the cross of Calvary, the morning lamb is the memorial, or the bringing to remembrance, of the same.
neither any mention of the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, it has received its accomplishment in the present church dispensation. Neither of the Day of Atonement, the High Priest of our profession is now in the holiest, presenting in antitype the blood of the bullock on behalf of himself and the church, his house. The sacrifice on behalf of Israel is foreshadowed by Aaron going the second time into the holiest with the blood of the goat. The sacrifices to be offered on the millennial altar will be commemorative remembrances of the one great sacrifice offered once for all, complete and perfect for eternity. The courts and gates. The courts of the temple were three in number, as follows, first, the great or outer court, 500 cubits square, where the people assembled to worship God. It was open to all. Second, the court of the priests, 300 cubits square. It was for the priests and their servants, the levites, alone. Third, the court of the altar, 100 cubits square, with the altar of burnt offering in its center. The separate place, whereon the temple stood, 100 cubits square. The court of the altar and the separate place formed what was named the inner court, which was surrounded by a wall five cubits thick, built of three rows of hewn stones, with cedar beams on the top. The outer court was elevated above the surrounding ground by flights of seven steps in front of the three gates, and the court of the priests was elevated above the outer court by flights of eight steps. The walls of the outer court and court of the priests were six cubits broad and six cubits high. There were three gates to the outer court, the north gate, the east gate, and the south gate. There was no gate to the west. There were three gates to the court of the priests, over against and corresponding to the three gates of the outer court. These gates had two porches each. The typical teaching of the courts. These courts are only mentioned in 1 Kings chapter 6 verse 36, and 2 Chronicles chapter 4 verse 9, the dimensions are fully given in Ezekiel, chapter 40. The court of the Gentiles and the court of the women, said to have been connected with Herod's temple, were an innovation of Herod himself. There is nothing said about them in the word of God. The outer court, with its flight of seven steps, may be regarded as a type of earthly and millennial rest. The court of the priests and the inner court, ascended by flights of eight steps, we may regard as typical of resurrection and heavenly rest. The arrangement of the courts also affords much valuable instruction regarding our approach to God and our nearness of communion with Him. As worshippers in the outer court, we simply know and realize ourselves as belonging to the people of God, the redeemed of the Lord. As ministering in the court of the priests, the believer is reminded of his heavenly calling, his priestly standing and privileges, by virtue of his anointing by the Spirit. The court of the altar, with its ever-ascending sacrifices, reminds him of the ground of his acceptance with, and access to, God. While the separate place, with the sanctuary erected upon it, teaches the necessity of separation from evil, and of the need of that holiness which becomes God's house forever. In all who draw near to commune with a holy God, in whose sight evil cannot dwell. The cooking places. The prophet is shown a place in the priest's court, on the two sides westward, or, hinder part, where the priests are to boil the trespass and sin offering and bake the meat offering, gift offering. He is next brought into the outer court, in each of the four corners of which he is shown a smaller court, forty cubits long by thirty broad, in which were places for boiling the sacrifices of the people, Ezekiel chapter 46 verses 19 to 24. Sometimes the word, joined, or, attached chamber, is rendered parlor, as when Samuel took Saul into the parlor and gave him the portions set for him, 1 Samuel chapter 9 verse 22. These attached chambers of the outer court are for the use of those who come up to worship, either for retirement, prayer, conference, or as a place in which to partake of the peace offering. In the peace offering, God accepted a part, the food of the offering made by fire unto Jehovah, Leviticus chapter 3 verse 11. All the fat that covered the inwards was burnt as incense on the altar, this was God's portion. 
the priest who sprinkled the blood, and who is typical of Christ, has his portion out of the accompanying meat or gift offering, the wave breast, emblematic of sympathy and affection, and the heave shoulder. The emblem of strength and service were given to Aaron and his sons, from off the sacrifices of the peace offerings, by a perpetual covenant, Leviticus chapter 7 verses 28 to 34. The remainder is the portion of the worshipper who offers his sacrifice of peace offering unto Jehovah. Thus we get a beautiful type of fellowship with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ, and with the whole priestly family, in the one offering of him who has made peace through his blood. Gallery against gallery in three stories. In the outer court, probably on the west, behind the temple, Ezekiel was shown in vision a building consisting of attached chambers, in three stories, with galleries in front, Ezekiel chapter 42 verses 1 to 8. These galleries, it appears, were over against, and corresponding with, the galleries of the temple on the north and south sides. The attached, or joined, chambers were entered from one into another, from north to south. The breadth of the temple on the west, including the sanctuary and the side chambers on the north and south, was 50 cubits. The length of the walls of this structure, including the attached chambers, was also 50 cubits, verse 7. Before the side chambers of the temple, on either side, were galleries in three stories, extending outwards 10 cubits north and south. Similarly, before the attached chambers of this building, north and south, were galleries in three stories, extending outwards ten cubits on either side. Thus the galleries of the building, in three stories, were over against the galleries in three stories of the temple. The expression gallery against gallery in three stories, Ezekiel chapter 42 verse 3, may thus be explained. The attached chambers connected with this building in the outer court, in contrast with the side chambers of the temple, decreased in size as they ascended, being probably 7, 6, and 5 cubits respectively. The doors leading into them, from one to another, faced the north, the galleries taking out a cubit from the attached chambers on each story. Similar to the way in which each story of the side chambers took out a cubit from the walls of the temple. These attached chambers, proceeding from north to south, from the side emblematic of justice and judgment to that of mercy and loving-kindness, and diminishing in size as they ascend upward, teach us that, in proportion to deeper views of divine love, and higher contemplation of heavenly glories, self, and the space occupied by self, will diminish in equal proportion.